Hi, this is ESPN's Dave Lamont, and you're listening to the Sports Objective Podcast, the unofficial podcast of the Pirates. to the sports objective as we have a very special show tonight in fact if you love the nfl like i do and you love the panthers and you're in luck tonight and we're very excited i know bubba is actually producing he's multitasking of tonight i don't know how he can be a play-by-play or a pa announcer at the same time he's doing this but he does a great job of that producing behind the scenes but with us right now our good friend mick mixon retired from the panthers as a play-by-play voice and now we're excited to introduce to you guys to our audience, Anish Shroff, and he's the play-by-play voice of the Panthers. Anish, very nice to have you. Appreciate you guys having me. It's uh, big shoes to fill with with Mick retiring, but he's been uh, nothing but wonderful in this transition process, and I'm excited to get going. Training camp starts next week. Preseason's on the horizon, and it won't be long before we're kicking off against Cleveland at home. No doubt. It's hard to believe that uh, the time is flying, Anisha. I mean, it's like the it seems like those of us that love football, it's actually going by faster this year. I don't know if that's it, but I guess maybe having the USFL helped. I enjoyed that product. I was really surprised of how good that uh, that was. And then a former East Carolina uh, head football coach, Skip Holtz, won uh, that league. And now all of a sudden it won't be long. And we, have, we were talking about that in the green room before the show about uh, training camp is coming up. You're starting a new gig. Uh, tell everybody before we get started with the Panthers, I know that you're a Syracuse grad and there's a lot of great broadcasting greats that have come from Syracuse. Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, a lot of guys that I grew up admiring, uh, Bob Costas, Ian Eagle, Marv Albert, Len Berman, Mike Tirico, Dick Stockton, Sean McDonough. So, um, you know, for me, a big part of going to school there was – you know, seeing the names on the ledger, seeing the portraits on the wall and, you know, wanting to follow in, in those guys' footsteps. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the lineage and, and the success of broadcasters to come out of SU, that was a big reason I, I chose to go to, to snowy central New York for four years. So it's not the basketball team by chance? I got lucky when I was there, as good as the basketball team had been, um, they were as good as they ever were. My junior year, 2003, was the national championship with Carmelo. Yeah, yeah. Melo got it done for you. Absolutely. And great coach in Jim Beheim and uh, the carrier dome. We could go, I digress. But uh, certainly, I know that uh, you have a path from uh, there to ESPN. Talk about that experience because those of us that love sports are huge fans, obviously, of uh, the worldwide leader. Yeah, you know, there's no... uh, one path and, and one ticket in this business, as you guys know, you know, sometimes detours become destinations. And, you know, when I graduated college, my goal, um, especially my senior year, was 
you know, to be a play-by-play guy, to be a radio play-by-play guy. It's what I love doing. And television took me on a bit of a fast track. And so it was Yakima, Washington, and you know, I went back to Syracuse, New York. Uh, there was a brief pit stop at a, a startup sports documentary company that um, didn't work out for anybody. And then ESPN came calling. And I started initially as a studio anchor, you know, doing ESPN News, filling in on, you know, various shows, College Football Live, Sports Center, and then made the transition back into into play-by-play. And you know, all of a sudden, here we are all these years where um, I'm doing, you know, radio and, and, and NFL, which is, you know, sort of the dream in the beginning in a lot of ways. Um, so, you know, people always say, just because you're wandering, it doesn't mean you're lost. Sometimes the, the detour becomes the destination. No doubt about it. And you've got a great organization. I was telling you, I'm actually going to the my very first Major League Soccer match on the 30th. I really love uh, the reason I bring that up. I love Bank of America, love Charlotte, and certainly love David Tepper. Uh, he's got a great first name, by the way. But uh, certainly with uh, Tepper has done an outstanding job in Charlotte with not only the Panthers, but also the Charlotte Football Club. Yeah, you know, we're trying to build something. And, and I think that's that's the vision. It's a long vision. And you want to build something that's sustainable for the long term. And, and that's the vision now that he's outlined with the Carolina Panthers and with Charlotte FC. It's brought an energy to this city, to this region, to this area where I think going in, you wondered where professional soccer maybe fit in with the sports fabric. But you know, it's become a part of the connective tissue in this city in terms of the sports scene. And you know, the games, the atmospheres, I, I admittedly was not a huge soccer guy. And then my wife and I went to their second home game. And one of the cool traditions they started in the first home game during the national anthem, something happened with the singer, the mic went out, so the entire crowd yeah. sang the national anthem. Well, for the second home game, they just had the crowd sing the anthem. And you're sitting there and you got goosebumps and, and chills. It was just such a surreal moment of everybody coming together. And they've, use that as a tradition early in the existence of this franchise. You know, it was sort of born organically, but this tradition was born. Uh, the games have been fun. Um, you know, it's kind of a hard, you know, 90 minutes, two hours, like you're in and out, you know how much time to a lot, and then you can enjoy the great uptown scene. So what they've been able to do in a very short period of time, I think is impressive in terms of just becoming a part of this city's sports scene and, and a major part of it quite frankly. No doubt about it. Let's bring in uh, Kyle Barber, another member of the broadcast. Kyle, welcome in. Uh, we were just talking about your favorite sport. I say that sarcastically, but um, with soccer at Bank of America Stadium, uh, we're going to be talking Panthers here in a second, but uh, certainly done a good job. In fact, uh, the football Charlotte Football Club is doing very well uh, considering their expansion team. Uh, tremendous. That's all I got. Congratulations to the uh, Charlotte Football Club. There you go. Uh, that's a way, great way to uh, – we'll just talk about soccer for the next hour. It's a great way for Kyle to be uh, quiet, <laughs> for sure. Let's talk uh, – let's go back to uh, football. And I was talking about the uh, – one of the great things is you get a great player at a steal, I think, with Baker Mayfield. Uh, do you, How did that come about? I haven't really heard the how, – how did they make that deal? It's uh, It's a big one for the Panthers. I think it came down to the fact the Panthers were not going to bid against themselves. And you know, when the reports were out there that Seattle 
you know, was never really a player in the Mayfield sweepstakes. All of a sudden, there was really only one team left that the Browns could trade him for. So, you know, their options were you either trade him and try to recoup some value, you keep him, maybe get a compensatory uh, draft pick, you know, after the season. And, well, they felt it was in the best interest of everybody to, to move him. And so the Panthers waited. Their patience paid off. Um, they've created competition in the quarterback room. And uh, again, you got to realize you got two guys now in Baker and, and Sam Darnold, uh, both in the final year of their rookie contract, both essentially betting on their NFL future as a starting quarterback. You know, whoever wins the job and if they play well, you know, that translates into a future as a starting quarterback in the NFL. If you don't, or if you, you know, don't win the job, it likely means you're relegated to backup duty. So there's a lot at stake. And when you look at Baker's history, he's always been a competitor. Now, this guy played at Lake Travis High School, big-time program in the state of Texas. A lot of his teammates from high school were recruited into the Big 12. He wasn't. Now, none of those schools offered him a scholarship. He was looked at by the group of five. And so he bet on himself. He walks on to Texas Tech. He's 5-0 and as a true freshman walk-on. Gets hurt. Not quite the same when he comes back. Lost his job. Wasn't even guaranteed a scholarship the following season. Transfers to Oklahoma. Again, bets on himself. Wins the job there. A few years later, he's a Heisman Trophy winner and a number one pick. Now, last year, yeah, the numbers were down. He'd be the first to tell you. He had an injury to his non-throwing shoulder. He had a rib injury. He had a foot injury. If he's healthy and he can pick up this playbook, I just think he gives you an element um, you know, that, that, frankly, we have not had you know, since Cam was in his prime, and that's a guy who can stretch the field, a guy who can stretch plays, um, and brings just a little bit of that swagger, just a little bit of that feistiness onto the field, uh, an edge, um, you know, that, that's been lacking at that position for the last few years. You know, uh, Anish, we, we talk a lot because we uh, cover the Pirates and a college football team in college sports period, but the NIL deals, do you see Baker Mayfield being in the pros now getting a lot of endorsement deals like Luke uh, Coakley did? I mean, he, he had a lot there in the Charlotte area. It seems like Baker is the kind of guy that would get a lot of sponsors, sponsors uh, and some deals. Yeah. You know, I think that's dependent on a lot of things. He certainly had some when he was with Cleveland. Um, I think if he wins the job and he plays well, those things come. I think for Baker, priority number one isn't, you know, what can I get off the field in terms of endorsements and sponsorships? As I said, he's fighting for his future as a starting quarterback in the NFL. Um, there's a lot at stake personally. If he plays well and he goes about his business the right way, you know, those things will follow. Uh, but I think with Baker right now, you know, first and foremost, his priority is probably got to be uh, – I got to win this job. I got to be quarterback number one. I got to prove that that I can still play at a high level like he did two years ago. Baker um, obviously played at Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley. Before that, you mentioned playing at Texas Tech. Uh, similar offenses, air raid style systems, if you will. Not true air raids. They don't do what Mike Leach did. Both incorporate particularly what Lincoln's done recently at Oklahoma. Now what I'm sure he'll do at USC, incorporate way more running games. So it's a, it's a wide open spread, but not a true air raid. I, I don't know what they ran in Cleveland. Uh, how do you think he fits into this offense? Well, that'll be, you know, the big challenge. Sam Darnold has a heads up. Um, there is a new offensive coordinator in McAdoo. 
Uh, but Darnold has had the spring to get accustomed to the playbook a little bit. From all accounts, he's looked good in spring practice. I will say this with Baker. This is not his first rodeo in terms of learning a new playbook. Uh, you look at his tenure in Cleveland. What do you have, four offensive coordinators in his time there? He had multiple head coaches, what, three, four head coaches? So, you know, he's dealt with change. Change has become the norm for him. Um, and I would imagine at this stage in his career, he would probably pick things up, uh, you know, a lot quickly, uh, you know, quicker than, than you know, maybe a rookie would. But, uh, you know, the air raid stuff, you know, <laughs> I think that was that was a story, right, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. You know, we've seen guys now come out of that system and have success. Obviously, you know, Mahomes, you know, comes to mind. But you know, there have been guys now who have played in that spread, air raid, RPO type system that for the longest time we thought would never translate from college to the NFL. We've seen a lot of those guys successfully make that transition. Mayfield brings um, name recognition, obviously, uh, for people who are more, you know, uh, followers of the college game like myself, uh, you know, Baker went into the Heisman Trophy, uh, followed Oklahoma closely because of Lincoln Riley. Um, you, you, you obviously, whoever is more qualified for the job, so you want to win the starting, the starting quarterback position. But, you know, if Baker wins the job and has some success, he, he's the type of guy that could create some buzz and some excitement around the Panthers uh, that they haven't had in a while. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons, you know, you brought him in as well. He, he adds intrigue to the season. Um, all of a sudden, the Panthers have become a talking point. You turn on you know, NFL Network and Good Morning America. You turn on the, the ESPN studio shows, and you know, they're talking about the Panthers. Baker makes this team interesting. You're absolutely right. And another smart, uh, another smart thing about it, too, is his contract. It was only, what, $4 million he's being paid. Um, is that right? Yeah, the Browns are eating um, most of the money. I think at the end of the season, you know, he's a free agent after this season, as is Sam Darnold. And, and somebody was asking me a few weeks ago on another show or, or last week, you know, after Baker had um, had been traded to the Panthers, you know, if Baker plays well, um, do you bring him back? And I said, if, if we're sitting here in February and March and we're having that conversation, that means a lot of good things happened between now – and the end of January. No doubt about it. And uh, like you said, I think a lot of people, there's a buzz uh, that's been there. And no offense to Sam Darnold, but I think there's more of a buzz for Panther fans. Uh, it seems like from the water cooler being that I, I live, work in Greenville, North Carolina. So there's a lot of people that I talk to that are really happy that Baker's there. So I know it's a gamble. You never know. He hasn't played for the Panthers yet, but you feel like, that he's going to have a good year. And um, I don't know how Sam is going to do with Sam Darnold, but it just seems like there's a lot of people talking more about Baker than Sam. You know, I'll tell you this. Um, a lot of folks on the outside seem to think this is going to be, you know, Baker Mayfield's job and then he's going to be the week one starter and he's going to be the guy. And, and it may turn out that way, but I can tell you, this is very much a real competition. Um, if Baker's going to be the guy, he's going to have to win it from Sam and, Right now, Sam has a head start. He's got a consider considerable head start. Uh, he was with the franchise a season ago. It's his second year with the Panthers. He's had you know, more time in McAdoo's system, having had spring ball and having had OTAs. And let's not forget, like Baker, Sam's got something to prove too. I mean, this is another guy, same draft class, final year of his rookie deal, uh, playing for his football future as a starting quarterback. So I I'm not going to write off Sam Darnold that quickly just yet. 
How much does, you know, with the NFL, uh, with these two competing, you know, true competition for the starting job, how much do these exhibition games that are going to be coming up in August have to do with who's going to win the starting job versus what is seen in practice? It's going to be a combination of both, but I don't think you can dismiss, you know, what happens in those preseason games. I think you have to, you know, use context is whoever the quarterback that's in the game, is he producing against, you know, the first team defense or is it against the second and and the third string guys? You look at all that. Um, is he succeeding throwing to the first string guys against, you know, the first string uh, defense, or is it, you know, the ones against the twos, or, you know, maybe he's doing it with his twos against the other team's ones. So I think context in, in not just the numbers and you know, the stats and, and the way he plays, but who is on the other side that I think will have a lot to do uh, with the final evaluation. And one thing you should do is to give a lot of people reason, uh, the casual fan, you know, you diehard Panther fans are going to watch, the preseason games no matter what, but the casual fans like myself, it gives us a lot more incentive to watch those preseason games because of the quarterback battle. It's, it's very intriguing. Yeah, couldn't agree with you more. For that very fact, can you talk a little bit about the teams, some players that we need to watch out for this year, maybe some new players or uh, up-and-coming stars that maybe we haven't even thought about? Yeah, you know, a few guys on offense, I think, you know, one guy to watch is going to be Tommy Trimble uh, at the tight end position. Second year now in the league, uh, had a tremendous uh, spring camp. He's a guy from talking to a lot of folks around the team. He may be poised to take that next step. And I think he's got a chance not just to be a weapon in the passing game, but, you know, you can use him uh, in multiple ways. We, We saw him, you know, score a rushing touchdown last year. You know, he brings a little versatility to that offense. Obviously, the health of McCaffrey is is going to be huge uh, in the backfield, but they've added some good depth in that running back room. Uh, getting Deontay Foreman, you know, short yardage guy who can run between the tackles. Now, again, that may save McCaffrey of a few miles, you know, when it's second and one, third and two. Uh, I'm looking for big things from Terrace Marshall. You know, he didn't do a whole lot as a rookie last year. Uh, again, he's a guy who has been turning some heads uh, leading up to, you know, the, the summer training camp. Now, on the defensive side, what happens with that second pass rusher? You know, we know Brian Burns is, you know, on the verge of superstardom on one end. I think he'll have a, a double-digit sack season. But you had Hassan Redick on the other side last year. You lose Redick. So, you know, will it be Frankie? Will it be uh, Yator Gross Matos? You know, where can they supplement that pass rush? Maybe it's Marquise Haynes, you know, stepping into a bigger role. And then I'm excited about the secondary. I really am. Um, you know, Jeremy Chin, I think, is is grossly underrated in the NFL. He, he's one of the best safeties. He can play in the box. Uh, Xavier Woods gives you another veteran back there. Uh, we know the speed that Dante Jackson has, but now we get a full season, hopefully, of J.C. Horn, who looked like a perennial pro bowler and a very, very small sample size before getting hurt last year. I think he's got a chance to be a real shutdown corner, and I'm not ready to write off the C.J. Henderson, who just a few years ago was a number one pick. You know, I'm curious to see what C.J. can do. Again, you got Steve Wilkes um, you know, back there with, with the DBs now, so um, if they can get Henderson to tap into that potential. Uh, there is a lot to like, and, and, and probably you know, the one area I didn't mention, offensive line. Um, you know, getting Iki Aquanu, who, who by all accounts was the number one offensive player in this draft, you got him at six. You have a chance to bookend that line with Timo and 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 Iki Aquanu. 
that's going to make a big difference for everybody on offense, the quarterback, the running backs, the receivers. Um, it maybe allows Brady Christensen to, to play a swing role or to play left guard. You got a veteran like Austin Corbett. You added Bozeman um, who can play guard and center. That O-line is massively upgraded. And again, that means what? The quarterback's got more time to throw. The running back's got bigger lanes to run through. And the receivers have more time to get open. To me, the, the domino effect of a vastly improved O-line um, is, is going to be huge for this franchise. This is what, year three for Matt Rule, I believe. Uh, that sounds right. Yeah, um, year three. He did a hell of a job at, at Baylor. Before that, did a hell of a job at Temple. A great college coach. Maybe one of the most underrated college coaches uh, over the last 20 years. Um, what kind of leash is he on in Charlotte? I mean, going into year three, uh, what are the expectations this year? Um, are, are, are the fans uh, getting getting anxious uh, with Coach Rule? Yeah, I, I think you need to add some context here. Um, you know, I understand, you know, people want to jump on Matt Rule. You know, they went 5-12 and 12 last year. They went 5-11 and 11 the year before. You know, you, you know, you want to just look at the record, sure. But he did inherit what was an aging roster that was on the brink of transition. And, you know, it was one of those things where you had to make a lot of tough decisions with some popular players and some veteran players. And there was going to be some turnover. Um, as he had the quarterback, you know, that you need to succeed in, uh, you need to succeed, you know, in this league with, uh, I think, you know, that's debatable. Maybe, maybe that guy's Baker and you hope it is, or could be Matt Corral down the road. You know, and the other thing is, you have to think about when he took over. He took over in 2020, you know, in the middle of a pandemic. So his predecessor, Ron Rivera, was somebody, you know, not only had success, but was also out front in the community. He was everywhere. Charity golf events, charity auction events. Ron was very visible in the community. But for Matt Rule's first two years, he never had that chance. Um, even if he wanted to, he, he couldn't do it. Everything was shut down. So, yeah, I think – Having a chance to re-engage with the fans, re-engage with the community. Obviously, winning cures all ails. We know that. Um, I think every coach in the NFL knows that you know you have to win. Um, but I think you need to add a, a little bit of context here. And and this is clearly the best team he's had in three years. So you know we'll see we'll see what he can do. But I, I do think this is a team that people are sleeping on. There is some promise here. Yes. You know, you're going to need a couple of things to go right. But um, when you look at the rest of the NFC, you know, it's very top heavy. And you get past the top three teams, you get past St. Louis or the Rams, you get past Tampa, uh, Green Bay. You know, after that, it's cluttered. So, um, you know, Matt Rule is another guy who's certainly betting on himself this year. Um, So, you know, I I understand the angst. I mean, it's going to happen anytime you don't win. Um, but but I'm curious to see what he can do this year because as you brought up, you know, this guy's had success and he had success at Baylor, where he inherited a program off of a scandal. He had success at Temple, which again prior to Al Golden and Steve Adazio, I mean th- there just wasn't a lot of success at that program historically. He's won in some tough places before. He's adapted. Um, I think the addition of some veteran coaches, you know, will help a great deal. Um, but Matt Rule's a guy who's you know, had success at Temple, had success at Baylor. And again, you know, sometimes we just want to take a snapshot in time and not give it a chance to evolve. I think you need to let this picture and this Polaroid still shake out a little bit. No doubt about it. I'm a huge fan like Kyle of him, so I hope it works out for him 
in Charlotte uh, with the Carolina Panthers. I had a big uh, general question when it comes to NFL. Uh, I've heard some guys say that as far as a new super leagues, if you will, in college with being the SEC potentially going to 20 teams and obviously the Big Ten going to 20 teams or more, uh, that they're going to try to compete with NFL. When I heard that, I was like, that's nuts because um, the NFL is the best. I mean, I love college, don't get me wrong, but it is a pro league. And as much as we want to, we, we love college football, the NFL is still the top dog and makes a lot more money than college football. And college football has a lot of problems. But I just want to get your take on it. Do you think that's the case that uh, those two leagues, if they do go to a super league, would try to take on the NFL? Is college football playing on Sundays? No. (laughs) And they're not competing. Um, Now, the thing you have to realize, when you do look at the ratings, especially in television, now the NFL is king. They're number one. The second highest rated sport in TV right now is college football. So with with all the ills that play college football, and certainly there's a lot to clean up and, and there's a lot to get sorted as we move this thing forward, College football, as it currently stands, is the second most popular sport in America outside of the NFL. That is correct. And I've been saying for years that they would go to a real playoff, um, that they might have a chance to uh, be the number one sport. But we'll have to, that remains to be seen. I want to ask about your broadcasting team. I'm a broadcasting nerd. I've uh, been in the business for 26 years. I want to get your, uh, if you can promote everybody. I'm sure Zoki, he's been there for 35. He's been there longer than the team, I think. Yeah, Jim is the veteran. He's been there forever. Um, And his insight and his ability to contextualize a lot of what we see will be of immense value. Um, We've added Luke Keekley this year, who will fill in on seven games. And then Jake DeLome and Jordan Gross, a couple of Panther legends. You know, those two will rotate as the primary analyst uh, for the 17 regular season games. So it's going to be a lot of moving parts in the booth. And the challenge for me is going to be to – you know, kind of develop uh, chemistry with, with, you know, each booth and each itineration. But I, I'm excited for it. Uh, those guys have been great. I've, you know, uh, my agenda for tomorrow is to reach out to, to Jake and Jordan, just kind of touch base before camp starts. Um, I'll see Jim Zoki this Friday, uh, talk to Luke Keekley. So it, it, it it's exciting. Um, you know, these guys are Panther legends. They care about the team. They care about the franchise. And, you know, I'm, I'm the new guy. You know, I'm the guy that has to – forge a relationship with fans and connect with the fans. So I'm you know, looking on, uh, looking to those guys to help me do that. And before we let you go, as far as the training camp is concerned, uh, can you talk about uh, when is the f- time that the fans can come uh, down there? Uh, Spartanburg, right? Or Rock Hill? Rock Hill now? Uh, no. It, it, <laughs> is it still Spartanburg. in Spartanburg? Yeah, okay. still Spartanburg. Um, so, yeah, we will go down to Wofford uh, next week. So, I'll probably get down there Monday afternoon and then the players start to move in Tuesday. I don't have the actual schedule in front of me, but yes, there is a day where, you know, they, they do have a fan fest coming up and and I know, you know, fans have some access as to what that is. I, I to be honest, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I'm right now. So we're getting close. I'm checking things off my to-do list. So it's, um, you know, we're staying in the dorm. So I had, I had to go buy you know, twin XL bed sheets and, and shower slippers and, you know, one of those egg cartons. So, uh, you know, what, what do you call it? The uh, the egg crates that go underneath the mattress. So I'm in the checklist mode right now, day to day. I'm sure that there will be uh, some fan engagement um, down in Spartanburg when uh, and what time that is. I don't have that off the top of my head. 
I got a quick question for you with, with you being uh, new to the Panthers, new to Charlotte, and, and et cetera. Did, did you check out Garth this past weekend? I'm sorry. I couldn't understand you. Did you check out Garth this past weekend? I did not check out Garth this past weekend. We actually had uh, some friends in town. I'm not a big country music guy. Believe it or not, I grew oh, up. Oh, cut, cut him um, off, Dave. Cut him off. Well, you know, so, you know, <laughs> I, I, I respect Garth, but that, um, yeah, that that is not my genre. And, uh you know, well, what do you know, listen you know, to? What do you listen to? I listen to a little bit of everything. You know, um, a, a big Springsteen guy growing up, Bon Jovi, classic rock. Okay, Springsteen's uh, gonna be in Greensboro in March. Believe me, yeah. I'll be there. <laughs> I, I saw I saw that the day it came out. Uh, '90s music, um, you know, any '90s hip hop, alternative stuff. So, uh, yeah, kind of a cross section of a lot of things. But in New York City, which was, you know, we got all the New York City radio stations in New Jersey. We did not have a single country music station growing up in our in our area. I, I wish I was making that up, but I'm not. So there was no real exposure to that. So I never I never really got into it. Okay. Well, don't go by today's country radio. You know, if you decide to give it a chance, uh, you know, I, I can I can hit you up on some good artists that are not on today's country radio. Uh, do not. Then I repeat, do not give today's country radio an opportunity to try to get you into country music. Well, let me ask you, does Taylor Swift count as country? You know what? Taylor, some of her older stuff, yeah. songs like uh, yeah. songs like Romeo and Juliet and uh, uh-huh. uh, Love, Love Story, that's the name of that song. And, um, oh, God, uh, Teardrops on My Guitar. You know, some yeah. of her it's very poppy, but it, it, she's a good songwriter. I'll give her credit. Um, she's see, a good songwriter. Okay, yeah. so I, I kind of stumbled into the, the Taylor Swift world about oh, I guess it would have been probably you know right around this time last year, very late to the party, and, and a few guys on our college football crew, you know, would talk about it, and I, and I just said, all right, I, I started to give this a listen, and I said, hey, it's pretty good, and so I've I've gradually become uh, I guess you'd call it a bit of a Swifty. Okay, go. yeah, some of our older stuff's good. She's gone more pop here recently. If you want to give from True Country a chance, and we'll get back on topic and close this thing out. Cody Jinks, I always promote Cody Jinks any chance I get. Check out Mr. Cody Jinks. And uh, with, with your non-exposure to country music, you'll probably hate it, but give it a chance. <laughs> I love Whiskey Myers. Whiskey Myers is one of my – Yeah, Whiskey Myers is good. Whiskey Myers is more southern rock. So uh, yeah. if, you, if you dig any old-school southern rock like Skinner, R.E.S. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm about to say R.E.S. Speedwagon. What am I talking about? Marshall Tucker, <laughs> et cetera. My dog wants to participate here with the squeaky toy in the background. But, uh, yeah, Whiskey Myers is another good band to check out. Yeah, see, that, that REO, Skinner, you know, the old Free Bird, Sweet Home Alabama. I mean, that stuff, you know, that stuff I listen to. Um, you know, I, I, I the, the 70s, 60s rock, the classic rock stuff, I I always listen to. I've always loved that. So, you know, maybe that could be my gateway to country. We'll see. I'm not making any promises. And when can everybody hear your debut before we let you go? And uh, we'd love to hear you, obviously, our new voice of the Panthers. So. Yeah, so we'll have our first preseason game. Uh, I guess it'll be that second week of August. Um, was it Thursday or Friday? Again, I'm I'm day to day, week to week right now. Um, it'll be at Washington. So you know, that first preseason game against, um, you know, I, I, I almost said the wrong team. What is it? The Commanders now, the Washington yeah. Commanders. I can't keep up anymore. That first preseason game against the Washington Commanders. Um, you know, we'll have the uh, uh, our first radio. It'll be my first radio broadcast for the Panthers. All right. We can't wait to listen to it. Thank you so much for your time, Anish. And uh, we look forward to having you. Hopefully you won't be a stranger. And we're very excited to have you on. 
uh, and have you uh, on the radio now. With in fact, uh, wherever you are, uh, now there's a lot of stations that carry the Panthers. So uh, check him out. All right, thank you. Thanks, man. Appreciate it so much. See you. Bye bye. All right, great to have Anish uh, there. He's uh, fantastic. And now we're going to bring in uh, Patrick Mason from the Daily Reflector. How are you, man? You ready? Good. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, you're, uh, thanks for your patience. Uh, we started a little bit late. Um, but uh, thanks for coming. I know you're sure. with the Reflector and uh, you have been for a while. Tell everybody how long you've been there. We uh, finally have you on. Our schedule's finally uh, worked out. I know you work hard. We all work uh, our day jobs, but uh, appreciate you finally coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I've, I've been a long time listener, you guys. So it's a uh, you know a good chance to get on here. Um, so I so actually it's funny. My first day on the job um, was the ECU Cincinnati game. Um, oh. First day at work. <laughs> um, so basically the last day of football. Um, and so what I'm trying to think when that was. What end of October? Something like November. that. Cincinnati game. It was Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah. Okay. November. Yeah. So end of, end of November. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, that, that was the first day on the job. Um, and then basically just transitioned right into basketball from there. Um, I actually drove up to DC, found out that game was canned, you know, maybe about 30 minutes or so from getting to DC. Um, so I was excited to watch some more football, you know, I just kind of got the one game. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's been a whirlwind ever since. No doubt about it. It's been, uh, it's been a tough year uh, sports-wise as that was a, a, a huge disappointment to say the least, especially um, we were very vocal. Kyle, I know uh, probably I probably out-Kyled Kyle on the fact of how bad we should have been playing a bowl game, but that's a whole other show. Well, show. you know what? I, I think initially <laughs> my, my anger probably outshined everyone's, but uh, <laughs> Dave, uh, you, you kind of you, you just went longer with it than I did. Um, but my initial anger was beyond belief. Um no, that's a whole other story for a different day. But what Boston College did was beyond shady. And if anybody believes it was truly all because they had a bunch of sick players uh, with COVID and couldn't field a football team, I'll uh, say it's a motion from property in Arizona. I knew, I knew you were going <laughs> to say that. <laughs> uh, some great country. You were talking about country music. George Strait actually met him, and I told him at Walnut Creek behind the backstage that I'd never met a king before. So. I uh, love George Strait. He's uh, he's top shelf for me. But did, anyway, did he throw something at you when you said that, Dave? No, no, okay. he didn't. Um, but anyway, we wanted to. George, if you didn't know that that reference, the Ocean for Property in Arizona, Patrick, that's a George Strait song. If you were wondering what the uh, tie to George Strait, yeah, I figured, yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I'm starting to show my age on that uh, with that reference, I guess. But anyway, uh, Patrick wanted to uh, bring you on, talk some pirate sports. A lot of stuff going on. Um, Certainly, uh, so you saw, obviously, uh, that where we didn't get a play, chance to play a bowl game, which we were very upset about with Boston College. Um, then we saw, unfortunately, the firing of Joe Dooley uh, during your tenure. And obviously, we were, what a heartbreak. Uh, we thank the world of Cliff Godwin on the show um, as well. And uh, the Super Regional, we had Omaha in our hands. And uh, that was such a heartbreak for that team. It really was. Um, just sitting there watching the game, uh, you kind of, you know, over the seventh inning, right? Um, you, what is it? Six more outs, nine more outs. And you just had this feeling when Texas kind of started, you know, coming back a little bit. You're like, man, this might be East Carolina's best chance here to get this done. Um, and the thing about it is, you know, Texas made that comeback against, you know, East Carolina's best pitchers, you know, so it wasn't like 
they were just kind of, you know, throwing it in. It, it's just it was one of those comebacks that just, just kind of happened in front of you and you just didn't know how to stop that train. <laughs> and that's just kind of how it felt. Um, and then, of, of course, you know, that ridiculous rain delay game. I mean, it's just it's hard to get any sort of, you know, momentum or anything going that day. Yeah. What, what, were your, uh, what were your overall thoughts, Patrick, though? Uh, your, your first time covering Pirate Baseball this past uh, you know, spring. Obviously, there was high expectations, slow start, then the 20-game win streak. You know, you go from being a bubble team to hosting a regional. You win the regional <laughs> in exciting fashion. You host the Super, despite the disappointment of the Super. Uh, what, what were your general thoughts of, uh, of covering Pirate Baseball this past year and the uh, atmosphere at Clark LeClaire? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a blast covering this, this team. And, you know, you mentioned the atmosphere. That was, you know, incredible. It's it's hard to, you know, people always talk about, you know, the atmosphere. But when you see it firsthand is when you really start to get appreciating it, you know. Um, I mean, just hearing how into that crowd was, it, it was incredible. I mean, ear splitting at times. Up in the press box, it was shaking um, during that Virginia game at night. Um, I mean, it, it was truly remarkable. And it was kind of fun seeing the, some of the other teams, you know, like Coppin State, a lot of their players hung around, you know, in the, the regional round, and they were just soaking it in. It's, it's kind of fun to see, to see that, you know, go on. That was really cool. Um, you know, you mentioned that the expectations, and yeah, they're, what were they, I think 13th in the preseason, you know, somewhere in there. And uh, just the way they started out of the gate, that Bryant series was, was shocking, you know. Especially with you know you check on Bryant a week or two into the season and they and they keep losing, so it, it was weird. You're like you know what what's going on here? Um, and really, it just turned out to be they, they just kind of had to find their identity. They had to find their rhythm. You know, they had to find especially that pitching staff really had to find their their roles. You know, um, I think that was the biggest key was when once the pitchers kind of kind of dialed it in and understood like hey I'm this is my role on this team is when we really started watching this team take off. And I mean, yeah, like you said, to, to get that super regional host, um, basically everything had to go right. You almost had to get that one game win streak. You had to win the AAC, or AAC tournament and all of that happened. And I thought that was uh, just, just kind of cool how it unfolded, um, especially watching. I think on you know, the last home game of the regular season, a lot of the seniors were hanging out in the outfield, you know, thinking, you know, this might be my last time playing here. But, you know, sure enough, you get another, what is it, six, seven games at home, which is kind of neat. Patrick, well, you mentioned um, your, your first game covering East Carolina was the Cincinnati football game, Thanksgiving weekend, big game. Um, you come in at a good time. Pirate football's back on the upswing after a down period under Scotty Montgomery, poor decisions that were made. What is your background prior to uh, going to the Reflector and, um, you know, taking over uh, covering the Pirates? Uh, what, what is your background? Where do you come from? Um, and how familiar are you with East Carolina prior to uh, getting the job? Um, so I actually, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, um, and I, I, whatever, I lived there my whole life. I went to college at the University of Iowa, uh, the Hawkeyes, and I studied journalism there. Um, and I graduated in 2012. Um, so when I got out of college there, I got a, a job at a newspaper um, in the burbs of Chicago. And I kind of did a little bit of everything. I did um, some high schools. I actually got to cover the White Sox a little bit in the summer. Um, so that was pretty fun. Um, and I want to say 2016, I ended up moving out to Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Um, I worked for the Rocky Mount Telegram, and I took that job. So first, I'd never been to North Carolina before, just kind of always been in the Midwest. And I took that job because at the Telegram, we got to cover the ACC. 
So I'd go over to, you know, Duke, UNC basketball games and, and stuff like that, um, which was, was definitely really cool. And I was hanging out there for a while just doing that job. Um, and then when Ronnie left at the reflector, um, I just kind of slid into his spot. Um, so really, it was about a month or so when I applied and, you know, I kind of had some interviews. I was really just, I felt like I was back in college a little bit, just like, you know, crunching ECU and just really trying to learn everything I could about them. Um, and I think, I mean, obviously you can, you can only do so much, but once you kind of get a couple seasons in, you know, I got this basketball season in, I got this previous baseball season. That's when you really kind of, you know, you really start to understand what this culture is like, because it, it's really something that's totally unique. And like I said, I mean, you, you could talk all you want about, Hey, you know, it's a really good fan base, but when you, when you see it up close, it, it truly is remarkable. Um, and it's kind of unique, um, just kind of a little off topic here, but today, um, uh, the new basketball coach, Mike Schwartz, um, was talking at this luncheon in Greenville and, you know, he, he's new to the area too, from Tennessee. And he was saying that, um, I actually wrote about it. Um, but he was saying one of his first times he was at a, a restaurant with his staff and, you know, they're eating dinner and they get up to leave. And he said a table of 10 guys just started screaming at him purple. And he's looking around like, what in the world? Like, what's going on? And he said, luckily, one of my assistant coaches knew to yell back gold. And, uh, you know, they kind of were going back and forth. But he was like, it was that moment where I realized, like, I made the right decision. You know, this is a lot, really passionate fan base and a really good good place to work. And I, I just thought that was kind of cool because that was sort of my feeling as well. You know, just, you, you know, you show up at my first football game here. And, I mean, the place is nuts. Night game, Cincinnati, it was incredible. Um, and that just kind of continued throughout. Obviously, I think it was Memphis, that basketball game. It was electric in there. Um, it, it was really cool. So, um, like I said, kind of growing up, I was really, you know, pro sports oriented, just kind of growing up in Chicago. Um, but, you know, this, this college thing, it, it's definitely really cool. How excited are you to see your, your first full season of Pirate football? Obviously, up and up with NC State. Preseason going to be top 15, top 20, maybe even top 10, depending on what poll you like. Um, obviously, huge in state rivalry. It'll be sold out. Um, you know, the first four games are at home, so that makes uh, you don't have to travel to cover the team. Um, I, I, you know, you, you got to experience the baseball, uh, basketball kind of is what it is, but uh, you're, you're about to see a whole nother level of excitement and what this fan base is all about with pirate football. And if we, if we do pull off the upset against NC State Labor Day weekend, uh, yeah, you'll, 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 uh, you'll be in for a whole nother level of excitement. Uh, that'll be, um, That'll be electric. Oh yeah, and I'm, I mean, I'm thrilled about that, especially like you said, NC State coming in. But I, I'm really excited just to get the a full football season under my belt, and just kind of watching the spring practices and talking with uh, Coach Houston. Um, I mean, it, it seems like, and as they should be, they're really excited about this team that's coming in. Um, you know, kind of retooled. You know, a lot of different positions. You got some good returners. I just think this this season is just kind of a fresh slate of all right. We got our we got our guys. We got our system. We got everything we kind of need here. And now it's you know kind of wide open for us to try to make a move here. And I think it'll be definitely fun to follow. And um, you know that opportunity against NC State. I mean, is there really a better chance that you you want? You know, first game of the year. You know, get a crack at like you said a top ten, top fifteen team. I think that's just. Perfect, perfect way to start your season, especially at four at home. I mean, I mean, you know, it's just lined up for you to really get off on the right foot. It is. And I have you had a chance to break down the schedule. The the second game of the year against Old Dominion is one that really sticks out to me because if you do upset NC State, you know how, how much trouble are you going to have to get refocused on Old Dominion? If if you lose to NC State in a close one, 
you know, how much trouble are you going to get folks on Old Dominion? Um, Old Dominion was the team that won five out of their last six last year to make a bowl game. They got everybody back. They got a heck of a quarterback room up there. Um, with a, I think they got three really good quarterbacks, actually. They got the guy that uh, started the last few games, took them to a bowl. They got the kid that transferred from UCF. Cannot think of his name right now. Um, and then they got a transfer from Notre Dame. So their, their quarterback room is loaded. Um, that Old Dominion game scares me. Um, I'm really hoping they can beat Virginia Tech week one in Norfolk. I think that'll get our guys' attention uh, no matter what happens against NC State. But, you know, you look beyond that NC State game and you kind of look down that schedule and, you know, I kind of wish we had Campbell second. So we had a little <laughs> a little um, buffer between NC State and ODU. But I'm telling you what right now, um, Pirate fans, everybody needs to be ready for that second game. We need to bring the same level of intensity to ODU uh, as we do NC State, because that is not going to be an easy game like some people think. No, I, I mean, I, I totally agree. It's definitely no cakewalk, especially in the start of the season. But the thing I, I kind of keep going back to is just watching these kids. And so when that when that bowl game got canceled, I was, like I said, I was basically up there and I just I went over to the hotel and I, I got to talk to just a couple of kids that were hanging around, a couple of players. And just to see in their faces and just the disappointment of not playing, I, I think that hundred percent can carry over. Like if, if you want to get back there, you can't just, all right, we got a big game and you know, now we got a letdown. I, I feel like I almost, I mean, it's, it's definitely something you could be worried about, but I think, you know, this coaching staff and these players have enough, you know, guys, we're finally here. This is some sort of team, you know, there's no reason to, you know, just have a letdown so early. I mean, you know, everyone should be, you know, knock on wood healthy and, you know, feeling good after, you know, whatever happens that week one, I think you could just, you know, power right into it. Either you keep the momentum going or you say, hey, this is where we, we stop it and we start a, a new streak. I mean, I think there's so much to play for right away. Um, even even though, yeah, it, it's definitely a couple of tough games off the rip. But, you know, I, I think this team is definitely hungry enough and they're motivated enough to try to do something special here. No doubt. And I think the, uh, the one thing is if NC State thinks they're going to come into Dowdy Ficklin, and walk in and, oh, we're the number 10, 15, whatever poll, like Kyle said, whatever ranking they'll be preseason. That's preseason. Preseason means absolutely nothing. I'm not being coach talk, coach speak, rather. Um, it means absolutely nothing. And also the fact that I've heard a lot of message boards about how one guy even said, as a state fan, that East Carolina should stop playing football. They're not a rival anymore. We beat you 58-3. to And I was saying, well, if you look at that game, that game should have never been scheduled. It was scheduled um, last minute because we were supposed to play Virginia Tech. That's a whole nother show, as they say. And mm -hmm. the 58 to three doesn't matter because that was a few years ago. And so this is a completely different Mike Houston team, which uh, the depth of this team is the best, uh, Patrick, as you probably know. And we've discussed it at nauseum on the show, but um, I go back to it a lot because I've just been really impressed. You heard how many times over and over again at different levels that Coach Houston knew how to build a program. We desperately needed him for many reasons. But when you look at the every position, um, we're pretty much stacked. And that's what I'm excited up for is that it's never been that we've had necessarily bad players. We just didn't have the depth to keep rotating the players. Like, for example, uh, defensive line was the first position room that he really stacked up. And it just kept now um, – we should have a preseason preview uh, this week with uh, somebody that knows a lot. All I'm going to say about the offensive line, I'll just leave it at that. We're working on that behind the scenes. But um, I think with the offensive line and defensive line, it's the best we've had 
probably since 2014, maybe, Kyle. Um, somewhere around yeah, there. Yeah, line D line. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, it may it may be our best D line. You know, I don't know. Have, we're gonna have to play ball, but you know, it, it could be our best D line since '09. Um, it's definitely our best offensive line since '14. Um, the '15 D line was pretty good too, despite a losing season. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely our best offensive line since '14. And uh, he was looking. Looking at Phil Steele, um, not that, you know, what the preseason magazines really mean anything, but I do think people respect Phil Steele's opinion, and he uses a lot of computer software and analytics. And uh, according to his computers, uh, we're going to average, you know, uh, it was right at 30, I think it was 34 points a game this year, which would be, if that happens, will be our highest point total we've averaged since 2014. So um, if, if we average 34 points a game or higher and uh, our defense is what we think it's going to be, that should bode well. Yeah, 34 points will get it done. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, Kyle, the great thing about that, it take the uh, defense is uh, the defense has really improved, and they don't have to be a top 10 defense when you have state and obvious when you can score 34 points in, in college mm-hmm. football, um, uh, for sure. Patrick, no. uh, one, Good, one question, uh, one question I had for you is, uh, just get your thoughts maybe on the coaching staff, recruiting. What are your thoughts with uh, them so far? You're getting to learn and know them now for uh, going on several months. Yeah, I guess, I mean, we could really start with Mike Houston. I, I guess I've just really been impressed with how he, just how he kind of has his, just the control over the team. I mean, like you guys mentioned, he really was, you know, thought of as a guy who can build a team. And that's exactly what he did. He identified some weaknesses and some issues, and he just went right to work, shoring a bunch of stuff up. Um, you know, I was actually impressed during the, you know, the spring practices, we got to see a little bit here here and there, but just that spring game, I know it's kind of tailored to, you know, showcasing some various things, but just sort of like the defensive team speed, I thought was really impressive. And, um, just the defensive coordinator, I think Blake Carroll, correct. Um, and he was just with him having been in the same position for two, three years now, I think that just frees the defensive guys up to say, Hey, like, you know, I, I know where I'm supposed to be. I can more so react to things rather than like, all right, you know, what, where do I got to drop here? How do I have to defend this? Like just the, the solidified of you know, the coaching staff, will just, it's just that much easier. You know, these guys can, like I said, they can just react on the field. Now. They don't have to start thinking. And that's just, that's so much of football. That's huge. You can just run around sideline to sideline and make plays. Um, and just having that consistency is, is just so important. And I, I guess I'm just, like I said, I've been really impressed, especially with Houston, just the way he talks, just the way he kind of approaches things. I, I'm just definitely really impressed. And, um, I mean, he's definitely got the point in the right direction. I mean, there's there's no doubt about it. Yeah, no doubt. Coach Houston does a great job, and he was the right hire at the right time. Um, I, you know, just, just from from my standpoint, I, I think the two things that we need to approve on the most this year on defense, um, our defense was good last year, but we gave up a lot of big plays, uh, which is kind of indicative to what we run. Uh, we, you know, blitz a lot, bring a lot of pressure. So that's going to kind of open yourself up to, to giving up big plays. But we do need to cut down on giving up the, the, so many big plays on defense. And then um, on the other side, on offense, you know, when you look at it, in the running game, we had some explosive plays, but sometimes we weren't consistent in the running game. Um, we, we, we'd hit one for 20 yards and then couldn't run for three yards the next play. So um, I think, you know, kind of the opposite there, we need to be more consistent on the, you know, picking up four and five yards at a time rather than just relying on the, the big running play. Um, I think those are the two things that if we can improve on 
um, we could really have a special season. And another thing, and I'll get your thoughts on this, um, Patrick, the, you, you look at our receiving core and we had, um, you know, we lose need. Um, thankfully CJ got his act together and he's back on the team looking like they're moving into the slot. Potentially, uh, you got Winstead, uh, the transfer from Toledo who was a proven commodity in the Mac, um, was their number one or number two receiver, uh, while he was there each year, he's a big play guy. You got the kid coming in from Georgia who, uh, played some there. Who's extremely talented, uh, plus some guys we already had to me, you know, the running game and then our tight ends. So we got a couple of hell of a good tight ends. Mm-hmm. If, if they can give the the receivers time to kind of get used to this offense, I think we could have a really special offense this year. Yeah, and I I think that was a huge focus in, in this off season and this recruiting class and you know, some transfers as well. It's just really shoring up that offensive line. You know, a couple uh, a couple transfers, one from Norfolk State and. Uh, the other one's escaping me right now, but um, just those well, guys are good, almost yeah. right. And you got, you can just insert them almost right away. And that just I think gave up like 35 sacks. And I think that just sort of hurts the running game. You know, if you, you can't really you know block all that well, but I think if, if you can immediately disimprove that, I think everything is going to slide into place. You know, you win football games at the line of scrimmage. It's so cliche to say, but if you can, if you can block and you can get time to pass and even just, you know, find that little sliver for a running back to slip through. Um, and it's just, it does wonders, you know, if, if you can get a couple yards, you know, second and seven is way better than second and 10, you know, just any little thing helps you know, just move those chains a little bit. And I think that was a huge focus of this off season. And I mean, obviously it's going to be, you know, we'll see how it ends up, but I mean, all signs are pointing to this is no way it can be, you know, this is just going up. It's definitely better. It's, you know, more talented and, um, and all, all the receivers as well. I mean, you know, a lot of new guys, but tons of talent was injected into this position group. Um, obviously, you know, you got to get some, you know, timing down and stuff like that. But, I mean, just, just the, the talent here, I mean, I think it's only upside. No doubt. And uh, one of the things, Patrick, that uh, I remember uh, people saying, Mason Garcia is going to transfer. He's going to transfer. He's going to transfer. He's definitely going to transfer. And I was one of the ones <laughs> like, wait a minute. He could also stay. You know, I get the fact that kids won't playing time. Um, I'm really happy that he stayed, um, and I'm hoping that uh, obviously I think Holton will have a great year. I think one of the things I've heard a lot from Pirate Nation with obviously if people want to say the armchair quarterbacks, but the guys maybe the uh, uh, folks on message boards, but they want to <laughs> see playing time for Mason Garcia because you don't want it to be where he gets very little playing time. And oh by the way, uh, the opening weekend next year. Is in the big house in Michigan. Right. Yeah, it's definitely a – I think it's going to be a line. Maybe the coaching staff is going to have to walk. Like, how much time does Mason get? You know, how how much playing time? Um, obviously, you know, what I, what I saw in spring ball, he was so electric and smooth with his, his feet, the way he moved. I mean, it was, it was definitely impressive. Um, and I think – I mean, obviously, playing time is just what a quarterback needs for sure. So it's going to be a little – fine line of walking, you know, how much does he play here? But like you said, I mean, for him to stay is incredible because that is the quarterback of the future. And if he can just kind of just really, you know, keep his head on and just kind of learn some things and maybe he does, you know, play a little bit and show some things, I think that's going to be incredible because just any little bit of experience helps out. Because like, you know, like you said, that's definitely not an easy uh, start to the 2023 going in there on the road. But um, 
I think I think it'll be interesting how they handle that position this year. It'll definitely be something to watch for sure. No doubt about it. I'm looking forward to uh, that. And also the fact that one thing that I forgot to mention earlier in the we were talking about we were talking about the fact of you just joining us, how the team didn't get a chance to play the bowl game and they're going to be hungry. Uh, one thing that the term, I don't know if you've already heard, you may already have Patrick, so forgive me. But one thing we talk about as a pirate fan is uh, certainly a chip on your shoulder. And I mm-hmm. think that this team, I really believe uh, they were definitely going bowling. Uh, the very worst would be the bottom would be six and six, but I think the ceiling is probably eight. And who knows, you might be able to steal some wins even higher than that, but I'm going uh, certainly eight and four on the year. But uh, I'm really excited about this team because I really believe that the talent coming back and they were so close to a bowl game, Patrick, and they didn't even get to play it. Right. And that kind of goes back to what I was saying too. I'm just like, I, I mean, there's probably, obviously you get up for some games, but I just don't really see this team just taking a week off. Off. I mean, I think they're going to be very motivated just to, to get back there. And they, they want to play that game. And there's, you know, plenty of seniors, plenty of guys who have they've been through the, you know, one win, two win seasons that they, you know, they got tons to play for. And I think that is just, that's going to be a dangerous team. There's going to be plenty of teams that are going to look at East Carolina on that schedule and go, ah, you know, this, this ain't good. This ain't that old East Carolina team. No, it, it, it's going to be an interesting season. I, I think when you look at the schedule, um, there's a lot of, you know, you, you, I don't look at the schedule and go, there's a game that we can't win. We can beat NC State. We can beat BYU. Chances are, you know, they're going to be a big favorites. I think NC State's a 10-point favorite already. But, you know, you, you look at UCF, you look at Houston, you look at Cincinnati. Um, you know, we, we should have beaten UCF last year. We could have beaten Houston last year. Um, we There were times we were very competitive with Cincinnati last year. Uh, so, you know, I, I look at this football team and I look at the schedule. I think there's going to be a whole lot of close football games. I think there's going to be a lot of nail biters with uh, with games like NC State, uh, with with even ODU, um, UCF, Houston, um, Memphis, uh, you know, um, Cincinnati. I, it's going to be a lot of close, competitive, really good football played this year. So um, it should be a fun year for you to cover them, Patrick, and, and for us too. Yeah, you know, you mentioned this, the close games, you know, uh, again, that Cincinnati game, I mean, they were – the defense was really making Desmond Ritter run all over the place. I mean, they were hounding him. You know, it wasn't until, like, you know, that the receiver got behind the defense and, like, you mentioned that big play. But, I mean, there's there's really no doubt, I, I would think, that these guys can't play with anyone. You know, I don't think there's any sort of doubt when you take the field that, oh, man, you know, we can't hang. I think this is a year where, you know, they actually – it's real when you say, you know, we can hang with these guys. Um, it'll, it'll be fun to see. Reminds me a lot, and uh, this won't mean anything to you, Patrick, but it will to Dave. It reminds me a bit of the 95 season coming off the 94 season. Yeah, no doubt about it. It was uh, two back-to-back Liberty Bowl. That was called, Patrick, the Liberty Bowl Alliance back then because we were not in a conference. (laughs) And we had teams like Southern Miss that were not in a conference that eventually go into Conference USA in 1997, but um, that new conference at the time. But uh, certainly, I think there's a lot of momentum. In fact, when you have a coach, speaking of the 90s, I mentioned this previously on our show, that coach Steve Logan, who was a legendary coach, won a lot of games here in Greenville. And he said that he felt like Mike Houston not only turned in the program in the right direction, but he feels like this year, knowing what Coach Houston's done as far as the transfer portal, when you look at transfers, you look at the 
all the high school person, et cetera, et cetera. He was saying that in grad transfers, he was saying he feels like every game is going to be a fourth quarter game and that he that he feels like that kind of like it was in the nineties. We were going to get it to the fourth quarter and he used to always right, say, say it with me, Dave, what are we going to try to do? Win it on the last, the last play, play of the game. That's right. <laughs> that was Logan for you. And he mentioned that again, Kyle. So, um, certainly hearing that, uh, that's the best, you know, we, we think the world's going to so We think the world of uh, roughing deal. When you have a compliment from a guy that won a lot of games and really put East Carolina on the map, when you talk about uh, two wins over Miami, uh, University of Miami, the U, uh, you have uh, wins over NC State. You can just go on and on and all the great wins uh, that we've had under Logan and uh, Stanford and the Liberty Bowl, a lot of bowl wins, a lot of bowl appearances. For him to say that meant so much. And um, uh, we're not trying to hype this team. I don't think you have to. The great thing about Houston, he's built the team. We don't have to put on special hype. We're not being paid by the university. You're not paying by being paid by the university. It's really uh, as much as we can be objective. Some people don't think the, the title of our show is correct. Um, because we're not objective, but I think when it comes down to when you look at the university of the program, um, I don't know how much more objective we can. I mean, you know, we are fans, but at the same time, if things are not going right, we're going to say it. Patrick, I got a question for you from an out with, you know, I'm calling you an outsider because you just got here. Um, What are your thoughts on the environment at Dowdy Fickle Stadium, some things we can improve on? Obviously they're adding, scoreboard a new scoreboard a new video board to the scoreboard uh they're upgrading the sound system which has been two complaints i've had uh they're adding ribbon boards that are that are going to be scrolling i don't know if that's going to be ads or scores or a combination of both um i think those are all great things another thing that i've always kind of thought that that needs to be upgraded is the is the bones of the stadium underneath the stadium when you walk into the stadium underneath it not not out into the stadium but the underneath to me, it is butt ugly, and the lighting is horrible. <laughs> uh, I, I think some some paint, some purple and gold paint, some better lighting, some LCD TVs around when you're at the concession stands to have the game on. I think those are things we could do to improve the game day experience. It wouldn't cost a lot of money. Um, and you've only been to one game, so you're probably really – well, I don't know if you went to games prior when you were at Rocky Mount, but is there anything you see that, that – that, uh, you think can improve the game day experience for the fans watching from the press box? You know, it's funny you mentioned the, the bowels of the stadium, you know, like underneath the bleachers and stuff, because that was actually something I noticed right away when I was going to the, the spring football game. Um, you know, it's middle of the day in the summer, I guess spring, middle of the day, and you walk in under there and it looks like you're like in a dungeon. <laughs> you know, it's kind of dreary under there. And that was just a little off-putting. You're like, what in the world? I feel like you're being punished going down here to go get some concessions or whatever you got to do. Um, so yeah, you know, maybe, maybe some paint will, will help that out. You know, just like you said, lighting, something like that. Um, but so I covered it with the telegram, uh, you, when UNC came to Greenville, um, when East Carolina won pretty big, I forget the final score, but it was just a few years ago. Um, and that was when they were, hey, you're yeah. talking, are you talking 18? Yep. Yep. That was the one. So, and that was when they were still redoing the press box and I was up there. I mean, that, that was just in shambles and what it is now is incredible. And I know that's just kind of the, the media press box view, but just, I, I could definitely tell they're, they're trying to make some up, upgrades and, you know, the, the new scoreboard will be great. Um, Cause that's just huge. If you're at the game, you know, if you're on like a, you know, by an end zone, it's so hard to see 
you know, is that a, a five yard run or is it a one yard loss? Like it's sometimes difficult. Um, and just having those nice scoreboards just really improve the fan experience. Cause I mean, as you guys know, watching any sort of football, I mean, the TV product is incredible, right? You can see everything. You got the line, you know, when you're at the stands or in the stadium, it's more about like the atmosphere because it's hard sometimes to follow the game. You know, you don't know, like, is this a first down? Like, I don't know, hundred yards away, but you know, those video boards will help immensely for a fan. I think. Yeah, Patrick, you know it's interesting you said that you're preaching to the choir here. Uh, as Dave knows, many of our listeners knows, I'm visually impaired, and that's how I watch the game is with my yeah. binoculars on the scoreboard because it makes things easier, much more compact, it's easier to follow. Hard to follow a game on the field with binoculars, uh, 100 yards. So uh, right. I'm, I'm really looking forward to an enhanced uh, scoreboard with better video quality. You know, that thing was put up in 2010, which doesn't sound like that long ago, but that was 12 years ago now. So yeah. uh, technology's changed, HD. You know, I don't even know if that scoreboard was HD. Uh, this one certainly will be, um, the sound system. And to me, uh, the next thing, you know, uh, along with the, the, the sound and playing the proper music and the scoreboard, to me, the next step, and it's something I haven't heard a lot of people talk about, but it's funny you had the same thought I did, uh, underneath the bowels of the stadium, man, you need to pretty it up some light, put some lights <laughs> up, paint it purple and gold, make it look more inviting. Early on, yeah. in fact, Patrick, early on, you won't believe us, but I was the first person, John Gilbert said I was the first person to ask him about upgrades to the what, concourse area. If you look at the boneyard area uh, underneath the concourse area, if you will, uh, that was 2010. That was the latest addition to the stadium. And that looks really good. It's more modern. And then um, basically that stadium was upgraded in 19, or that area down there, I think was 78, the late 70s. And that's what it looks like. So, you know, wow. what you walk in there. So we've got the, what you saw as far as the press box was 1978 um, before they redid it. So we had that press box for 40 years. So um, one thing that we have to do is I've said a part of our show, as you probably heard listening to it is we have to have a master plan. We can't say we don't have the money, all the excuses in the world, but we can play, pay Dave Hart 600,000 for a deep dive that we still haven't seen yet. Um, all kinds of money that uh, hasn't happened. Um, we have to have, you know, the indoor practice facility. We have to have a lot of the upgrades for baseball, basketball. I don't care what sport it is. In order to compete, we're going to have to, you know, people talk about the arms race. Well, that's what it is. And if we want to get left behind, then do nothing or very little and complain that we have nothing. Or, you know, when my son, he's at EC baseball camp this week, it's uh, 300, I think it was $350. That's not a, a small purchase, but you find right. a way to make it. But you find that's my son. You find a way to make it happen. And that's a much smaller scale. I understand. But just on my budget, as far as that, on a much bigger scale, we'll find a way to make all those things happen. We had a question, by the way, um, before I um, get long winded from Johnny Gardner, our good friend, Johnny Gardner, uh, listener and friend. He says, Patrick, your thought on the new basketball staff and have you seen some summer workouts they've had? Um, so uh, I haven't seen any workouts yet, but I have talked with Mike Schwartz a couple times. And I so today, like I said, I got to talk to him a little bit today. And I, I came away just really blown away with his vision for this program. I think he is. I mean, you know, a lot of coaches are energetic and they, they're like, you know, they say, wait, we're going to turn it around. We're going to make ECU basketball, you know, this. But I think he is probably the really he has a, a plan. It's like this solid plan this, you know, multi-step plan of what types of kids they want to recruit, 
how he's going to build this program. I think he has this vision and just talking with him, he has this, this mindset or this mentality that like, he's really not going to, like, he's going to make it happen. I, I think just his drive is, is really impressive. He's obviously really well-spoken um, and that goes a long way, but just the way he was talking about how he approached recruiting, I was, I was pretty impressed with where he said like, you know, I could have easily came in here, hit the transfer portal, got a bunch of guys and just tried to compete right away. He's like, but you know, where does that really get you? Right. So he's like, I'm going to get a, a bunch of freshmen in here. We're going to coach them up and you know, we're going to see what we can do. And really right now the, the key is he was talking about retention. Like you can do all the recruiting you want. You can get, you know, anyone on campus really, but it's about keeping those players. So if they're, if they're really good, you know, every school in the country is going to, you know, they're going to have someone in their ear saying, Hey, come, come to our school. You know, they're going to get pulled in so many directions. So retention is big and that's what he's really focused on. It's like, Hey, you know, if some of these kids we recruit pan out and they're really great, like we're going to really focus hard on retaining these kids and starting to, you know, build a program. He was talking about um, scheduling, how it's really difficult to schedule teams from the ACC, the big 12, the SEC, because they just, there's really no benefit right now for them to play East Carolina basketball. You know, like if you get a road win against ECU in November, December, it's like, what does that do for their resume? So he, I feel like he takes that as like, is, is personal. He takes it personally and says, we're going to get up in the quad one, quad two type of tier team. So we can schedule these home and home series and we can be competitive and get on the map. And, and while that's great to say, I, I feel like he has this, He's, he's actually thinking about that, which I think is really cool. You know, Did he give, so many, go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish your I was just going to say, I think it's really cool because so many guys might've came in and say, Oh, I can hop in the portal and get, you know, this junior, or this proven guy, but he's saying like, oh, we're going to build this thing through my vision. And I think, I think that's really refreshing. I, I think it's really exciting. I mean, I'm, I'm really excited for ECU basketball. I know that's a whole nother season away, but just kind of talking with him, I, I think he's really got a good vision. You mentioned scheduling and how he says it's, it's and that's something that you know was up and under Dooley and before that under um uh Lebo Lebo, thank you. I wanted to say Harry and good God under Lebo, um, Harry, I went back several years, uh, 20 years or so. But uh, did, did he mention any non conference scheduling because we we haven't seen, I think the only yeah. thing we've really seen so far is a preseason tournament. Um, there you go, yep. Um, in fact, mm-hmm. uh, Bubba over there that we're going to play in the Gulf Coast Showcase. ECU's open the Schwartz era versus Mercer. Yep. I think it's Tuesday, November 8th, I want to say, is that Mercer game. Um, but not the no non-conference home schedule yet uh, on your uh, No, not yet. Uh, he actually talked about it today. He was just saying that um, they're still kind of finalizing it. I mean, they basically, when you got his staff in here, they're just really just trying to make a million calls and try to hammer out a schedule. It should be out soon, probably within the next week or two, I would say. Um, and it's but, yeah, they uh, made some breaking yeah, news. So the, um, there's mm-hmm. a three-game series, one neutral, one home, one away with an SEC team. Quite possibly Georgia is what yeah, uh, he was that's, mentioning, what, uh, uh, that's confirmed. Wow, that, oh, that would be great. Uh, it's Georgia, Tennessee, or whoever. If, if we can get one Greenville, one, one in Athens, and uh, or, or whatever SEC team it is, and then one of the neutral site, uh, if, if it's Georgia, that neutral site would probably maybe be Charlotte. Um or maybe Atlanta, who knows? But uh, uh, that's interesting if that's true. Uh, that's something we hadn't had in a while. The, the last right. time that- a quote-unquote power five basketball team came in here 
Oh, Jiminy Christmas, Dave. Who was it? Uh, you know, the, wow. back when uh, Holland was AD, you know, we had uh, Virginia Tech in here. We had NC State in here. We had Wake Forest in here. Do you, do you remember the last uh, yeah. so-called Power 5 basketball team that came to, that came to Greenville? Not, I mean, we had the big market teams, obviously, with AAC, with like Memphis and Cincinnati, Houston, those right. guys. Yeah, but I mean, non conference. Oh, non conference. Yeah, wow. Power Five. Not off, yeah, not off the top of my head. I would have to, I know Bubba would know. Maybe he can put it in the, <laughs> uh, there, uh, for the subject matter. I mean, at, at this point, I would settle for a couple of good AT, a couple of good A10 teams in basketball. Well, again, what it comes down to is, uh, we have to win. And my concern, Patrick, um, is not with Mike Schwartz at all. I think he's a good coach. It comes down commitment to the program. And I'm hoping uh, you can't probably say it because um, you're so close to the program right for the reflector. But we don't have a coaching problem. We have a commitment problem. I've been saying that since Dooley got fired. It's every four years or five years, we fire a coach. They resign. We get another one. We get another one. So is Schwartz going to be the latest victim of that? Or will Gilbert finally support basketball? That's the ultimate question. And, you know, people get mad at me. Some people I've heard get mad at me behind the scenes because they think I'm redneck or they think I'm this because I don't drink purple Kool-Aid. But basketball should be a lot better. And the reason it's not better is because we're not making the commitment to basketball. It has nothing to do with the coaches we're hiring. It has to do with the commitment, meaning dollar signs, spending on the program. That's what it comes down to. So that's the ultimate question I would like from Gilbert and everybody in the administration. Are you willing to spend money on basketball or are you going to let us continue to be a joke? That's the ultimate question. Yeah, it's totally fair for sure. Um, you know, and like you said, this the commitment is huge because you, you can sort of feel it, especially, I mean, it was my first year, but you could feel it last year when that, in that losing streak, you know, losses started coming. It was almost just like you shrug your shoulders and go, all right, this is what we are. And, and that's that feeling just it felt like it was blanketed over the team, over the stadium. I mean, it was is an eerie feeling where it, everyone just seemed like, OK, with it, you know, and and I, you know, I, I don't know how it really changes, but it's got to got to start somewhere. Yeah. Pirate basketball has been bad for a long time. We've had a few bright spots here and there, but they've been they've been fleeting. And, uh, you know, I'm, Dave's been very vocal. Um me less vocal, but, uh, you know, Dooley shouldn't have been fired. Uh, he should have been given more time. Um, hopefully Schwartz will build the thing. Um, I think it's going to be a tough process. People are going to have to be patient. For and sure. again, how much, uh, how much support is this administration going to give him? I mean, this is your hire Gilbert. So, uh, well, you, you, but you at the same, it. at the same time, I'm 49 years old. I mean, how long do I have to wait for us to go <laughs> back to the tournament? I mean, I was literally, Patrick, and uh, I've told the story a million times, but March of 2020, or 2020, listen to me, 1993, um, I'm not even 20 years old. I'm 19, almost 20 years old. That's the last time we went to the tournament. I'm now 49. Gilbert, Ryan Robinson, everybody at ECU, how long do I have to wait? I'm tired of hearing about the waiting. You know, it's like another four-year plan. I'm tired of hearing about that. It's time to win. It's like the, uh, I saw the new Elvis movie. It's great, by the way. It's now or never. Let's uh, let's have that kind of attitude. Backs against the wall. Nobody backs baby in the corner. Let's go for it. You know, like why do we have to continue to talk about a four-year plan? Being patient. I don't think we need to be patient anymore. I think there's a sense of uh, urgency that's missing with our athletic department, and including with basketball. That oh, we'll get it done next year. We'll get it done next year. Well, guess what? Um, that's been a long time. It's almost been 
literally uh patrick 30 years you know what i mean like next to oh, yeah. march it'll be 30 years since we've been in the tournament so do we get to the tournament every 30 years um you know that's the one thing i think the other sports even olympic sports a lot of them are heading the right direction or on top they're doing well um but basketball is the one that's uh every year is the one that's the <laughs> the redheaded Jeff child every year every year in pirate basketball we have to sit there and go it's gonna be next year it's kind of like with baseball right now i'm a nationals fan i guess some people oh, say man yeah <laughs> so it was gonna be you know gone um but you know like okay they're gonna be bad next year they're gonna be bad the year after i mean how long do you have to wait for a team to be good and so um i know things aren't turned overnight but i feel bad for schwartz because I think there, even though there's not the level of um, people upset maybe now as it were when Dooley was fired, I think that at the same time, it's a very difficult job. Um, and it starts with, uh, again, like I said, the commitment. So if the commitment's there, you'll start to see, I think, Schwartz winning and winning at a higher level. But if it's not there, then he's going to struggle. And I'll feel bad for him personally because I'm just tired of, I would love to have a coach for a long period of time. I'm not anti him. I'm just anti not not being committed to the program. For sure, and, and yeah, this is his bit, first yeah, head coaching sure. job as yeah, well. A little bit, but yeah, for sure. Again, a little bit, but yeah, for sure. Again, a little bit, but yeah. Wow. Again, a little bit, but yeah. Wow. For sure. Again, a little bit, but yeah. For sure. Again, a little bit, but yeah. So we. That's what we call technical difficulty. For sure. Again, a little bit, but yeah. For sure. Again, a little bit, but yeah. For sure, again a little bit, but yeah. They try to everybody try muting themselves. For sure, again a little bit, but yeah. For sure, again a little bit, but yeah. For sure, again a little. Success. All right, it's not me. All right, we're good. We're good. Yeah, I love. Everybody may not know, I love vinyl, but that gave me like a flashback of having bad vinyl that gets hung on something repeats over and over again uh vinyl is definitely making a huge comeback since 2019 but uh patrick uh, before we let you go i know we could talk a lot of topics can you uh tell people maybe there's some restaurants tell people things that you like to do around greenville or hobbies so we can get to know you a little bit better um yeah so i'm i'm a former swimmer um i, I love swimming i kind of do that in my free time swim laps and stuff um, play a little golf here and there um and since you know i came from rocky mountain it's, it's kind of a you know obviously a smaller town and what i've discovered in greenville i really like um like mediterranean food i love like eating euros i mean that is incredible i, I found a couple places in greenville that do you like bikini awesome. <laughs> yeah i've had that and then another place probably pronounced around like yabba yabba um yeah, just kind of right by campus there. yeah and I, I just i mean i could eat that stuff all day so that's the, that's been my favorite just having you know some access to that stuff i'm the regular basis um so I'm, I'm definitely a big food guy i'm happy if i could eat some good food <laughs> have you tried any barbecue i know kyle's gonna one of us would ask that question do you like yeah. any barbecue the eastern north kind of barbecue at all i do um you know i've, I've had parkers a couple of times and one time it was honestly like it's been maybe two or three years ago but i had bees in greenville um and it was so incredible i went back like two days later and got some more i mean that that blew me away that's that's probably still my favorite i gotta make a point to get out there more yeah but it's good but make sure you're there by about 11 11 30 maybe 12 uh during the week to make sure you you get it yeah. before they sell out 
That's what I was going to say. You got to definitely be up early and be cool with eating barbecue in, in the morning. But um, I mean, it, that, that stuff blew me away. I mean, that was some, that was some good barbecue because, um, you know, where I come from, it's like, uh, you know, like sauce heavy. You know, you get like I'm trying to think, you know, it's, it's like barbecue sauce. But out here, it's like that vinegar-based stuff, and I, I'm. And you're from Illinois, sure. so I, you probably that get you, you probably get a combination of Kansas City style and St. Louis style um, mm-hmm. in Illinois, I would think. And I and I've spent some time in the Champaign-Urbana area. I actually had some good Texas-style barbecue at a place in Champaign. Um, seem to hear them there, but just saying. So, but yeah, you're right. Eastern North Carolina-style barbecue is extremely unique. Whole hog barbecue, vinegar-based sauce, very simple. Um, but it is hard to do right, and when you do it right, it's yeah. hard to be. You know, the one thing I'm missing is Chicago-style deep dish pizza. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's so funny how different places of the country just have a hard time replicating different foods, you know, and I haven't really found uh, one that hits home, but that's the, every time I go back home, I just got to, like, I plow some deep dish the, pizza. The best, <laughs> deep dish piece, the best deep dish pizza I've had in eastern North Carolina, and it's going to be a bit of a drive for you. Uh, you probably find some in Raleigh good, but the best that I've had in Eastern North Carolina is out in um, Kill Devil Hills at a place called Slice. And uh, okay. they got a really good deep dish. All their pizzas are good, but their deep dish is particularly good. Uh, but like I said, you, you'd probably, uh, rather than going hmm. to Kill Devil Hills, you could probably find something in Raleigh just as good. Yeah. Well, I'll have to keep that in mind if I ever head out to the coast. I did a uh, food show with the food critic of the time, Greg Cox on News Observer. And um, that was something that we had a lot of people from Chicago. And and that was obviously seven years ago. So I'm sure that that area is growing. But um, Raleigh was even talking about a lot of people from Chicago were talking about they couldn't find a really good deep dish. So I don't know if that's I'm sure that hopefully that's changed uh, for people that are transplants from Chicago that moved to Raleigh. Um, (laughs) But that was something that was a regular uh, topic of people that called in and asked questions uh, for sure. One of my, uh, yeah. my, my, my best, well, one of my best friends that lives in Illinois, one of their favorites is uh, Italian beef. Is that something you miss? Yeah. Yes. Portillo's Italian beef. Oh my goodness. It is so good. That's why. Yeah. Every time I go back home, I, I get two things, Italian beef and deep dish pizza. It's like my mom it's, wants to cook for me, but I'm like, I, I got to go out and eat. <laughs> I have a tough question for you. I saved it for last. I thought about it earlier when you said you're a pro sports fan. Are you a White Sox fan or a Cubs fan? I'm a White Sox fan. Ah, okay. Yes, yes. The um, White Sox, north side of town. Yeah, yeah. I grew up on well, yeah, their south. I grew up on the north, north side, side, and yeah, um, and my whole family's Cubs fans. But I somehow picked the White Sox when I was younger. Um, and they're supposed to have a good team this year, and they're just frustrating the crap out of me. You know, they're yeah, you know, back and forth with 500. So. I don't know. I'm I'm really pulling for that team, but they're frustrating me. <laughs> favorite favorite White Sox player of all time? Um, probably I'd say Mark Burley. Okay. I saw him throw a no hitter one time, and that that sealed the deal. Gotcha. And, and what team does Kyle Barber pull for? Hmm. You know, I, I'm yeah, <laughs> I, I am not a diehard Major League Baseball fan. You know, but you know. I am a Cubs fan. Uh, that 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 is my. Uh, <laughs> That is my team of choice. Uh, growing up in Eastern North Carolina uh, in the '90s, you, you you know you didn't you still don't have a team. You know you 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 get your regional sports network, which gives you the Nationals and the O's. And at the time there was no Nationals, you had the Orioles. The Orioles, you know, you had Cal Ripken Jr. and Billy Ripken and uh, a couple other good players for those back in the day. And then um, everybody around here was Braves fans. Braves, 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 TBS. Mm-hmm. 
But, um, you know, I, I kind of got hooked on WGN, uh, which, you know, back then, even though it was national, was still Chicago. It was still a super station in the 90s. So I, I grew up watching afternoon Cub baseball during the summer, you know, several days a week, watching Ryan Sandberg and Mark Grace and Andre Dawson and later on Sammy Sosa. So Sammy Sosa. Back, back then, uh, you know, listening to um, Harry Carey and then Chip Carey and, um, yeah, I, I became a Cubs fan and I still am though very casually now, but, uh, yeah, yeah so it's kind of ironic that, uh, you're a Sox fan. I'm a Cubs fan. So <laughs> I guess great. I can you watch your family. Yeah, there you go. You know, I'll tell you something about baseball. I feel like it's such a good, like companion sport in the summer. Like you, you can turn on a game and you can run to the kitchen do some dishes, you know, make some food and just kind of have it on the background. And because of that, like, if you have a good announcer on your team, like you almost just you gravitate toward that, you know, like the Cubs. I'm sure it was so easy to be a Cubs fan, not only just because they're on TV, but you just get to listen to like fun, energetic announcers, you know, and that just adds to, adds to the whole experience. Yeah, no doubt. And it was, you know, the mid afternoon, they played so many day games back then. There was nothing to do in that afternoon in the summertime. And so you, you, you turn on the Cubs game and just leave it on. And uh, speaking of fun to watch home run derby last night, was a lot of fun to watch. Um, oh man. I was, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, you know, I, a lot of, a lot of, I, I don't, you know, the presentation, I don't know, we'll get it, we'll, we'll close this out, we're getting off topic, but presentation of the home run derby with the constant split cameras got to me a little bit. I, I prefer the, the old school way they used to do it, presentation-wise, but uh, it's so fast, man. So many balls just flying out in a hurry, but it was fun to watch. Yeah, I, I definitely like, I like the older style where you got to see the ball land and see where it went. You know, this time it's just like, you know, rapid fire. But it was, you know what? I, I wasn't sure what to make of it going in, but I was actually pleasantly surprised with Albert Pujols. <laughs> I mean, it was just yeah. kind of fun to watch that dude out there hit some bombs. And, uh, and these young kids, man, oh, my goodness, they can really rake. It, it's a fun – a lot of young talent in the game right now. No doubt about it. And uh, speaking of which, uh, I don't know, Kyle, I haven't uh, put in the group chat. I've been very upset about Soto. Um, he, he turned down 15 years, 400 – Kyle, check this out. Would you turn this down, Kyle? $440 million. Now, it is a long time, um, but I don't think the Nationals are going to be bad or hopefully not bad for 15 years. But I know that's a long contract, but $440 million is a lot of cash. And it's guaranteed, right, Patrick? Is my memory. Yep, it's guaranteed. It's a lot it's of money, and it's a long time, and I, I'm going to go ahead and say a 15-year contract worth that kind of money. Um you know, Juan Soto's a hell of a player, but he may be doing him a favor that you, you're, you're tying up a lot of money for a long time, giving somebody a 15-year contract. You know, I looked at it like the, you know, the AAV, like the annual annual average value. It's just like it's under $30 million. And, I mean, it seems silly when we talk about this type of money, but it is what pro sports is. You know, if he's 23 years old and one of the best hitters, I could definitely see him say, you know, why, why not just drive free agency or do something else? Because, you know, some of the other, like Mike Trout's making 35, 36 million. I think Max Scherzer's something crazy, like 43 a year. So Juan Soto looks at that and goes, well, it's guaranteed forever, basically. I, you know, I can I can make more, which is just insane to say. But, you know, that, that's what he's thinking. No doubt. And he's got Scott Boros. So, <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> he's thinking about how much money he can make, too. Um, right. But anyway, Patrick, uh, we've kept you on a long time, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Hopefully you'll be back with us and uh, – 
Love to have you back on around Labor Day, around the time of the beginning of the season. And I want to remind fans, up on if you're watching, uh, you're not listening, but if you're watching right now, you'll see it. one 800 ecu Get your tickets. I think we have about 14,000 season tickets sold. We need a lot more money, even John Gilbert said, from the helm. Um, they'll talk about payment plans, whatever they have to do. to. And I tell you what, um, when you look at that schedule this year, we were talking about the games. When you have every Saturday in September um, packed, I'll tell you one thing. If you don't have your reservations for hotel rooms, um, you won't be getting them. I, I You better go ahead and get them now because in September, uh, every Saturday in September, we have a home game. Um, when you look at the likes of we're playing NC State, Old Dominion, Campbell, and you have Navy, um, there's a potential, guys, that we could be 3-1 and one or 4-0 and oh very easily. I mean, uh, you pull out the upset like we talked about, but I'm looking forward to that. So get your tickets. I know, Kyle, did you have anything before we go? No, it's kind of echo what you're saying about buying season tickets. It's a very good home schedule with North Carolina State, Old Dominion. Even Campbell has some regional interests uh, in the conference. you got UCF coming here for the last time, potentially, with them going to the Big 12. Um, Houston's coming here for the last time, potentially, with them going to yep. the Big 12. Um, Navy, who is a team we struggle with immensely. immensely. We, we get them in September um, in Greenville. Uh, fun fact, guys, we've never beaten Navy and Greenville ever. That's right. So, uh, need to, need to, need to kind of break that streak this year. So there's a lot of important games this year and a lot of important games early. So, uh, get your season tickets. We're over 14,000 now. I'd like to see us get to 16,000. Um, I don't know if we'll make it, but uh, it'll be a damn shame if we don't. We'll see how it goes and, uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your summer. Patrick, do you have any vacation coming up? Uh, actually, I took one uh, last week or a couple weeks ago. Um, so it was good just to kind of, you know, float away for a little bit and, you know, turn the phone off for a little while. It's It's been nice because I know once, you know, August hits, it's full go again. <laughs> so, no doubt. We're looking, yeah, we're looking forward to it. I'm on vacation this weekend. So uh, it's been a lot of fun uh, for sure. And I know there's a lot of people that um, and if you're in the media, you better go ahead and get your vacation in now because if you don't, it's a it's a long long ride for uh, for sure when it comes to uh, covering, especially when it comes to ECU. Um, we're going to do that. But thank you so much, man. We appreciate it tonight, and uh, look forward to uh, talking to you again, probably around Labor Day, if you'll come back yeah. on with. Absolutely, this is fun, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. Hope you have a great night, man. Take care. You as well. See you around. All right. See you later. Uh, well, we had a great show tonight, uh, and we'll we'll actually have a lot of people. Um, that I know will be listening. Appreciate you guys very much. Don't forget to like our uh, Facebook page. You can subscribe on our definitely to our YouTube channel. That's been growing a lot. We'll have a lot of content up there, and we have a lot of great uh, football content coming up over the next handful of weeks with uh, different previews as far as teams, uh, position, stuff like that, and some other special guests. You never know who we're going to have. Uh, we'll do that uh, for sure coming up. All right, until actually we got a great show tomorrow night when our friends Brian Medor is coming on. Until then, you've been watching and listening to the Sports Objective. Good night, everybody. And as always, go Pirates. My heart is purple and gold. I'm a pirate down of my soul. And I don't